0: As I mentioned to you, we begin our six-week sermon series entitled Our Mission Together because it comes from our mission statement. And so we're going to do this every week, looking at it piece by piece as it reflects God's Word and our call uh, in our lives together. And so as we begin today, I think it would be helpful for us if actually we read that mission statement together. And so uh, I believe that it's going to be on the screen for you, and I would invite us to, to gather together and read it in unison. Let us read it together. We are... A family of faith called to grow in the love of Christ, share that good news, and serve the world. Simply put, we are called to grow, share, and serve. If you can't remember all of that up there, remember that we are called to grow, share, and serve. And so today we start at the beginning, namely our affirmation that we are a family together now all of us have families. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we probably gathered with them over the Christmas holiday together. Some of you probably were excited about that. Some of you probably not so excited about that, because there are families, right? For some, families are close by, and for others of us, our families are scattered throughout this country or even beyond this country and other countries. And if you think about it for just a moment, none of us were able to actually choose the family we were born into. God decided that for us. And I would dare say that all of us acknowledge the blessing of having a family, but we also recognize that every family has a level of dysfunction that can lead to irritation, frustration, and even quarrels at times. Despite all of that, we are called to love one another. Because God has given us each other as a gift. And God calls us to love one another unconditionally. To support and to encourage, to forgive and to care for each other. Maybe you've heard the saying before that blood is thicker than water. Right? Have you heard that? It implies that families stick together no matter what. But if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that that's not always the case. We live in a sinful and a broken world where families are broken apart for various reasons. Some are born to parents who are unable or unwilling to take care of them, and so their family is comprised of many siblings in an orphanage. Some families are split because of divorce, and then some are reorganized through a new marriage. Some families are torn apart because of death, while others split because of rebellion or addictions, mental illness, or a refusal to accept or even to forgive. You see, while families are a gift from God, we can easily take them for granted, or we can keep them at arm's length for whatever reason we deem necessary. Today, our scripture reading from the book of Ephesians sheds light on the importance of family. Our passage is actually the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church there in Ephesus, and he begins by telling us, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul's prayer is centered with the concept of family in mind. However, Paul is not talking about our immediate families in which we belong to. Instead, he is speaking of a larger family called the church. Now, Paul became the appointed leader of... um, uh, at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, to go and to preach to the Gentiles to share the good news of god 's grace through Jesus Christ to them. Now this is a radical concept, because of the promise of God, was limited to the covenant established with Israel, the Jewish nation, the Jewish faith. A Gentile was essentially a non-Jew, and many Gentiles were polytheists, which meant that they worshiped many different gods. And to many Jews, Gentiles were considered unclean foreigners. They were outsiders who were not a part of the family of God. But Paul speaks of a radical inclusion of these Gentiles into the household of faith that they too would receive salvation and grace. He says, "...this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel." members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul is proclaiming a radical message that blood is thicker than water, that the blood of Christ shed on the cross for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, is the good news. In fact, in Galatians, Paul argues that God's promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through you is God's promise of inclusion by faith to the Gentiles who would come to believe in Jesus. Paul acknowledges that every family, the Greek word patria, which is often understood as tribe or lineage, sort of as your own people, is changed. It's nuanced here. It's different, and it's rare in the New Testament. That here, Paul speaks of a larger family, the church. He prays to the same God, the same Father, who is Father of all of them. In other words, he says to the good news of Jesus, there is no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile, that both can freely worship together in the same space, in the same sanctuary. In essence, Paul is declaring that there is only one body united together by the Spirit of God. And if you were here last Sunday, you heard me mention this and the importance of this, as I mentioned to our children this morning, that together as the church we celebrate the sacrament called baptism. And that in baptism we are claimed by God. That baptism is an outward sign of an invisible grace in which the holy mystery of the Holy Spirit is at work, uniting us to Christ together as the church. That through these waters that, that come over us, whether we're immersed and brought up, whether we're sprinkled, whether we pick a baby up and dip it in, however we do it doesn't matter. The waters that cover us mean something far more than we can even imagine. That these waters change who we are. They include us into a greater family called the church. And in that, we get a new name, Christian. Many of you have seen me baptize children uh, here in our worship space. And I don't know how much attention you've paid to the actual baptism, but there is something that we do as pastors. When we ask um, the family to come forward and we take that child into our arms, before we baptize them, we ask a question. What is this child's Christian name? And the family responds with their first and middle names only. And there's a reason for that, because when we're baptized into the church, we all bear the last name together, Christian. We're no longer individuals. We are now bound together in a holy family, this holy mystery claimed by God, set apart by God as one family. And yet the beauty of our faith is that while it is personal, it's also not private. We affirm it together. And it's our faith that connects us by the one and same Spirit of God. Essentially, we are adopted. We are adopted into a new family called the church. And so the writer of Hebrew proclaims, both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made holy, us, are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's pretty radical, The Son of God calls us into his family and then calls us brothers and sisters. Thank God that God calls us brothers and sisters. Because, well, if you actually go back and read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, you might find that Jesus' own family tree has its own fair share of dysfunction and scandal within it. Go take a look at it. You'll find interesting characters like Judah, the story of Judah and Tamar. Go back to Genesis and read that. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. Just go look it up and read it. You will find someone like Rahab, who was not an Israelite, but was included. She was a prostitute and included as Jericho fell. You will find Ruth who was a foreigner, a Moabite, who married into this family, but she's included in this family tree. And then you'll find someone as famous as King David, who seems like a champion for the faith, yet was a murderer and an adulterer. You see, Jesus' own family tree is flawed. But I find that that's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus comes from a flawed family line. And that Jesus is able to reconcile all of our flaws through his death and resurrection, making us flawless before him. Now, even in that, Paul recognizes that even though that Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile together through faith unto God, that you and I are still deeply flawed. We're still sinners. And so even this family called the church can struggle to live into the holiness that God has called us to live into. Therefore, Paul prays specifically that Christ would strengthen this family of faith. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, the power that Paul speaks of is not the power that we're so often privy to around us in this world. It's not a power that lords itself over others, It is a power that comes only from the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word for power in the New Testament is dunamis, and it's the same word in which we get the English word dynamite. That's powerful. It's explosive. The spirits work within us. It's the same power that gave those disciples at Pentecost the power to go out and speak in foreign languages so that others might come to know the good news of Jesus. It's the power that lives within us and enables us to live into sanctification, to become holy together as God's people, and to live lives worthy of our calling together. There is a power that comes from God that infiltrates our very being, our hearts. Now, we often associate our heart as the seat of where our emotions come from, but in Scriptures, the Jewish understanding of the heart is different from that. It's where our will and our intelligence reside. So, when Paul prays for the church, he's essentially praying for two things. First, that we might be strengthened in our minds by the Spirit's power, that Christ may dwell in bringing us about the sanctification that God longs for us, that we might become holy together as God's people. And secondly, being rooted and established in Christ's love, that we may have power together to realize the limitless love of Jesus, and that we might be filled together with all of His fullness. Now, when Paul says, you... Oftentimes, you think about that in terms of me or an individual, but here, Paul is not using you in that way. In fact, it's plural, so that would be you all, and since we're from the South, we would say, Paul says, y'all, speaking of all of us. It's a collective prayer for the whole church. And his prayer is centered on Christ's love that this radical and powerful love would infiltrate our very being that we might be transformed into Christ's image. We would move beyond ourselves into the image of Jesus. So in other words, when others on the outside of the church look at us and see this family, they would see Jesus. And not only see Jesus... They would be drawn by his love. In addition, as we begin to truly realize the power of the gospel, the unconditional agape love of Christ that loves us even when we're at our worst, this love guides and holds this family together. Being filled with the fullness of God means that together, we will respond and live as a family that loves one another no matter what what, no matter what. It means that even when we get on each other's nerves or we upset someone with something that we say or something that we do, that we can admit our mistakes and that we can seek their forgiveness. It also means that when we've been wronged, that we refuse to hold a grudge and that we willing to extend that forgiveness that someone needs. As a united and reconciled family of faith, we choose to follow in the ways of our Lord, who extends grace and mercy and who exhibits humility and love. This does not come from our own ability to be strong, I can assure you of that, because it's natural for us to push people away when they wrong us, to get angry, not to forgive. This power comes from the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. Because together we are a spiritual family bound together by the same Spirit of God who holds us firmly together. And the Spirit of God has come to reside within our hearts permanently. But I find that sometimes we act as if the Spirit is a visitor who drops in from time to time. And so sometimes we only offer the Holy Spirit the guest rooms of our heart as a temporary place of residence, which ends up denying the Spirit's power at work within us. But that's not Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That's not a temporary living situation. It's actually moving into a permanent home forever. It's moving into the master suite of your house. And as the church Together, we are called to give God permanent residence so that He can transform our lives to be a powerful witness for Him. You see, in a world where families are so often broken apart, the family of faith, the church, is called and united by Christ to stay together and to radically show the unconditional love of Jesus as we love God and we love one another in our worship, in our study, in our fellowship and in our service together. And God has called us into a larger family beyond even these walls that includes all genders, and all classes, and every race and tongue that continues to grow in number all over the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So friends, my prayer for us is that Paul's prayer for the church would become our prayer too that together we would desire for God to strengthen us and to empower us to love boldly and to share this good news of Christ's unending love in all that we do together as this family that is God's family of faith here in Boone North Carolina on Big Valley Street that together we would pray for God to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in such a way that he would exceed our small hopes our small imagination and even our small dreams, for His larger plan and vision for us. And that together, we would give God the room He needs to transform us into His church, a family of faith that is pleasing and glorifying in His sight. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Brothers and sisters, family, may it be so for us this day and forevermore.